playoffs, Roger Federer withdraws from the French Open, John Rahm gets screwed, and Julio Jones is a titan. The Valley Sports Talk begins right now. To another edition of the La Valley Sports Talk podcast brought to you by the Silent Network. As always, I'm your host, Chris Valley. Hope you all are doing well and staying safe. Let's kick off the pod this week. Let's recap a little bit of the NBA playoffs so far. But before we do, let's take a moment of silence. Let's pour one out for the great LeBron James as he's been eliminated in the first round. Okay, let's move on. So as we take a look here, we've got Utah Clippers. We have Denver Phoenix, Philly, Atlanta, and Milwaukee and Brooklyn. So as far as my playoff predictions go, I'm doing okay. I picked Utah and the Clippers to make to face off in the second round. I did not have Phoenix. I picked the Lakers to face Portland. So I was dead wrong about that bracket. And then if we look at uh, Philly and Atlanta, I did not have Atlanta moving on. I did pick the Knicks to make it through. And then I did have both Milwaukee and Brooklyn facing off. So my playoff predictions are so-so. I'm dead wrong about the finals. I had taken Brooklyn and the Lakers to make it to the finals. That's obviously not going to happen. Couldn't be happier about being wrong on a prediction as saying that the Lakers would make it to the finals. I am elated that I don't have to deal with LeBron anymore uh, watching the NBA playoffs, which is just, I, I can't even express to you how much I'm enjoying the NBA playoffs right now. Anyway, so as it stands right now, I'm recording this on Wednesday. The you, uh, the Jazz are uh, beating the Clippers one game to nothing. And then we've got, let's see, Phoenix is one game up against Denver. Philly and Atlanta are tied a game apiece. And Brooklyn has dominated Milwaukee in both games. And that's without James Harden. So let's start there. I think, look, Milwaukee has a shitload of adjustments to make. And I don't understand what they're doing, why they're playing the way that they're playing in the sense that their game plan is terrible. They, Milwaukee should be dominating on the inside. They have bigger and stronger players than the Nets do. They, they just do. And for whatever reason, they've decided that they're going to try and outscore Brooklyn by just chucking up threes every single game, which you're, you're not, it's not going to work. That's not the way Milwaukee was built. Milwaukee was not built to just chuck threes. You saw it against Miami. They play an inside-out game. And for whatever reason, they're not doing that. I think Brooklyn has a good chance of winning this series in five with the rate that it's going. Milwaukee will likely win game three because it's a desperation game, but I think Brooklyn takes game four and game five. We look at the Philly and Atlanta series. The one thing that I hate to admit um, is that Trey Young is actually pretty good. However, Philly did make what Philly did do that the Knicks didn't do was they made the proper adjustments after game one. They doubled Trey Young, which you need to do at this rate, and they forced everybody else in Atlanta to to make plays which they couldn't do and when Trey Young was doubled he only he was scored like 11 points and had six turnovers so Philly played in, in both games by the way though an injured Joel Embiid scored 39 in the first game and 40 in the second so I uh, look I I still think Philly is the team to beat um as far as that that matchup goes I think Philly will probably win the series in six because I definitely think Atlanta can take another game. Uh, that it may go seven, but I think it'll go six, and I think Philly's still going to come out because I believe Philly overall is the better team. The Suns in Nuggets matchup. Phoenix is up one game to nothing. I, I like Denver in game two. I think this is going to go seven. This, to me, is the best. Uh, these are going to be, this is going to be the best series in the second round. 
I'm going to take Denver to come out. I, Phoenix may be the better team, but Denver's got the MVP. I like the way Denver plays basketball, I think, more than I enjoy watching the Suns play basketball. Look, I was rooting like help. Don't get me wrong. I was rooting like help for the Suns in, in the first round. Obviously, they were playing the Lakers. But I don't know. I just There's something about the way Denver plays. I just I, I like I like their team overall. They have Again, they have the MVP. And I don't trust Chris Paul. Not that I don't trust him as the player. I don't trust his health. And I still don't think he's 100%. So I, I think that Denver and Phoenix is going to go the distance. It'll go seven games. And I'm going to take Denver to come out. And then that brings me to the Clippers-Jazz series. I'm going to take the Clips I, as much as I don't want to, and I, I was rooting for, for uh, the Mavericks last, last round. I don't know. I just, I'm just i going to take the Clippers. I think overall they have the better player or the better players. Um, nah, no, the better player because I, I don't trust Paul George ever in the, in the postseason. Kawhi Leonard is, is better than anybody that Utah has. So I'm going to take the Clippers in six in that series. I think they win game two, and then they'll very likely win game three and maybe win game four as well, lose game five back in Utah, and then they'll take it in game six. Uh, so, yeah, so moving on, as far as the, the conference finals go, my picks are the Clippers to face off against the Nuggets, and then I'm going to take the 76ers to face off against the Brooklyn Nets. So the other story I want to touch on on this opening segment is Roger Federer withdrawn from the French Open. And I think that this is a story that is, in, in, in the larger context, kind of a big deal. Because Roger Federer is considered by many to be the GOAT of tennis. And I don't think that you can ever put him in that conversation because he just withdrew from the French Open, not because of an illness and not because of an injury just because he said he had to listen to his body. Now, Federer was, had just finished off winning in the second round. He was headed to the round of 16. And it was the day before his, his match in the final 16 where he withdrew. Now, when you look at the bracket, he was either going to have to face off against Rafa Nadal and or Djokovic or possibly both of them in order to not only make it to the final, but win the damn tournament. And this is a weak move as far as I'm concerned because I think he's saving himself for Wimbledon. And as great as Roger Federer is, he's not as great on clay as he is on grass. And the fact that he's quote-unquote listening to his body I think is a complete and utter cop-out. I don't buy it. I don't believe it. And to me, it shows that he's mentally weak. Think about the goats. When we think about in, in all of sports, you look at Tom Brady's the goat in football. Tom Brady has muscled through a lot of injuries that we always hear about at season's end. After the season, all of a sudden, Brady's having surgery on something, whether it was his knee, his, something else wrong with his leg, maybe his shoulder, whatever it may be. Brady has had countless surgeries at season's end. You never know. You would never know that Brady's injured. Michael Jordan scored 38 points, or what was, I believe it was 38 points. Yeah, he broke open an NBA Finals by scoring 38 points in the flu game. He was having to be held up by teammates. Specifically, there's the famous video or photos of him being held up by Scottie Pippen because he was so weak. Tiger Woods once won the U.S. Open on a broken leg. That's GOAT status. 
that's channeling that inner fire, that inner will to win, which is just more important to you than dealing with the now, dealing with that pain, that illness, whatever it may be that was holding you back to fight through that in order to be a champion. That's GOAT status. Roger Federer withdrawing for really no reason whatsoever, except for the fact that he was scared to lose again to either Nadal or Djokovic. To me, that's just mentally weak. That's the type of shit LeBron does. That's not GOAT status. You can't claim to be tennis's GOAT when you're deep into a major championship and all of a sudden you have to face off against your, your greatest rivals and you're choosing to walk away for really no reason. That's, that's just weakness. And in, in pure and simple, it's weakness. So, you know, th- this will be a debate that, uh, that I would love to have. Anybody who wants to come on and, and talk about tennis greats and who should be considered the GOAT, I'd love to hear from you. But as far as I'm concerned, Roger Federer is no longer allowed to be in that discussion. All right, so NFL Corner is going to be pretty short and sweet this week. The only story, major story, is Julio Jones signing with the Titans. Falcons receive a 20, 2022 second-round pick, 2023 fourth-round pick, and the Titans receive the Falcons' 2023 sixth-round pick along with Julio. Uh, this is a steal for the Titans, plain and simple. The fact that you're able to sign Julio Jones uh, for just giving up a second round and a fourth round pick. But overall, I think this is more of a win for the Falcons than it is for the Titans, and here's why. The Titans are not a pass-first team. They're a run-first team. And what you've done is you've taken a, a great wide receiver who hasn't been great in recent years, but a great wide receiver, bring him into an offensive system where he's now going to be expected to be a blocker first and a receiver second. Because again, they live and die by Derrick Henry. So unless the Titans are now going to completely change their offensive scheme and become a pass-first team, this doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense. And I have to give credit where credit's due. I got this information by listening to Keyshawn Johnson the other day on ESPN where he laid out what the Titans have done over the past few seasons and why they've been successful and how leaning on Derrick Henry has made them as as great as they've been over the past couple of years and that it hasn't been Ryan Tannehill. And while Ryan Tannehill's numbers look great and they're very glossy and all of a sudden he went from being a C-level quarterback to a B-plus level quarterback once entering Tennessee, when you really take a deeper dive into his numbers and, or a deeper dive into his success, a lot of it has to do with the fact that you had a lot of teams just loading up the box to try and stop Derrick Henry, which allowed... Corey Davis on one side, and then you had A.J. Brown on the other to kind of be streaking wide open because you couldn't, if you double teamed Brown, for instance, all of a sudden now you have, you have Derrick Henry who's only got really one line to get through, and then he can go off and, and crush you. So I think that while Jones going to the Titans is a pretty big deal because you know, again, you have AJ, you have Brown, and you have you have Julio on on both sides. I mean, that's not you shouldn't be upset if you're a Titan fan, but I wouldn't necessarily be sitting back and thinking, "Oh man, we're going to make it to the Super Bowl now because we've got Julio and we have AJ Brown." I just I, I, because I still believe that the Colts are going to win that division. Just because the Titans got Julio Jones does not all of a sudden make the Titans the best team in that division. I'm sorry, it doesn't. That I just don't, I I still don't see it. Unless, again, unless the Titans are going to completely change up their game plan, and maybe they are. Maybe they're going to be like, you know what? 
Ryan Tannehill is now going to become Peyton Manning back there. He's going to sit back there, and he's just going to chuck the ball all day long. Maybe they do that. I, I don't think that's going to be a very successful strategy because while I, it's been really cool to see Ryan Tannehill be successful in Tennessee, I don't think that's who Tannehill is. So, I mean, look, we'll see, we'll see what happens, but I don't think that if you're a Titan fan or you're rooting against the Colts, because I know there's a lot of people out there who are rooting against the Colts because they don't like Carson Wentz. What's up, Rich? And while you may be pumped about this and think, hey, Titans are now going to be easily the best team in the AFC South, I don't see it. Because, again, what Julio Jones are you getting, by the way? Are you getting the Julio Jones from, like, four or five years ago? Or are you getting the Julio Jones from the last few seasons who's been consistently injured and only played nine games last year? What Julio Jones are you getting? Look, if you get the stud wide receiver that we saw early on in his career, then yeah, you, you definitely have a case to make that the, not only are the Titans going to win the South, but they're going to be contenders in the playoff. But if you get the Julio Jones that we've seen over the past couple seasons, he's a nice get. He's a nice decoy in certain instances. But is he really going to, to make the Titans or bring the Titans to the next level? I don't think so. And I, I think it's going to be the latter, which is why, again, I think the Colts are still going to be the best, best team in that division. My Everything is Stupid segment this week, we're going to touch on the PGA forcing John Rahm to withdraw from the Memorial Tournament this, this past weekend because he tested positive for COVID. Now, it would be one thing if Rom had tested positive on Wednesday or Thursday before he got really got into the tournament. But the fact that he they kicked him out after he finished his third round on Saturday and he was up by six strokes, six strokes, and they forced him to withdraw from the tournament after he finished Saturday is absurd, absolutely absurd. And I'm going to touch on ways that they could have made this right. Um, but the way that the... Not, not just the fact that they could have made it right, but the fact that they pretty much made Rom the, the villain in this story is just utter insanity. It, it's terrible. So a little bit of background for you. Rom was leading the tournament after he finished his third round by six strokes, shooting a 64. Shot a 64 on Saturday. He also set a tournament record by shooting 18 under par within the first three rounds. And unless he completely collapsed on Sunday, Rom was well on his way to winning this tournament back-to-back. Yes, that's right. Rom was set to make history winning this tournament two years in a row. Now, both players and fans just went crazy on social media about the PGA's decision to force Rom to withdraw from the tournament. And the biggest head-scratcher, and and this this is what doesn't make any sense, from the announcement from the PGA is when the tour acknowledged that Rom had previously tested positive for COVID and was confirmed to be 100% asymptomatic. And this is the official announcement from the PGA, and I quote, On the evening, Monday, May 31st, the PGA Tour notified John Rom that he was subject to contact tracing protocols. He had come into close contact with a person who was COVID positive. Per the tour's COVID health and safety plan, Rom was given the option to remain in the competition and enter our tracing protocol, which includes daily testing and restricted access to indoor facilities. Rom has remained asymptomatic. Rom has tested negative every day, but his most recent test, which was performed after the conclusion of his second round, rain delayed, and before the start of, the, of his third round, returned a positive at approximately 4.20 p.m. 
while Rom was on the golf course. The PGA Tour's medical advisor requested a confirmatory, to- excuse me, confirmatory test on the original sample, which came back at 6.05 p.m. and was also positive. The PGA Tour's medical advisor notified Rom immediately upon completion of his round and under tour protocols, he will be withdrawn from the competition. Rom is now in isolation, and in accordance with CDC guidelines, he will need to remain in isolation through Tuesday, June 15th. While this is an incredible, unfortunate situation throughout 50 events, since the PGA Tour's return to golf, there have been only four positive tests, including Rom, within competition. Rom is the first positive asymptomatic case as part of the Tour's routine contact tracing protocols, end quote. So here's the deal. I have been on record of talking about how well the PGA Tour has handled a lot during this whole COVID thing. I thought that golf was an incredible sport that kind of kept us together last year because it was really the only sport that was going on for a while. What the PGA the PGA's decision over this weekend was both lazy and it was cowardly. And the fact that they made a snap decision without actually taking a moment to just sit back and think how can we make this work for everybody involved is both disturbing and disgusting. The easiest foolproof method to make this work, and I'm not the only one who thought of this. There's a much smarter individuals than myself who also pointed this out on social media, is that you admit the presence of fans and everybody else on the course. You have John go out early Sunday morning with his caddy and a tour official, and he watches them, he watches them play. He plays by himself, he scores the round, and you move on. This way, Rom still has the opportunity to win the tournament, or obviously if he fell apart playing out by himself, so be it. Maybe he would have lost the tournament. But he still has the the ability to finish it out. Again, it would be one thing if Rom wasn't in contention to win. You know, if he was, I don't know, four or five shots back from the lead. You know, it is what it is. He has to withdraw. But the dude was six strokes ahead of everybody else. And he had just shot a a tournament record. 18 under par in the first three rounds. He was destroying the field. And you force him to withdraw. You also cost him over a million dollars, by the way. So not only did you take away his opportunity to have a historic back-to-back victory at at the Memorial Memorial Tournament, but you also cost him over a million dollars in the process, which when you really, really think about it is just absolutely disgusting. It's despicable. But hey, you know, the PGA, they did the morally right thing, right? They followed the CDC guidelines. They made the right decision. Look at them. Honestly, it's, it's nothing more than just cowardly and pathetic. And the PGA Tour should be ashamed of themselves. They're not. And anybody who's sitting back and thinking, well, you know, Rom was warned. Yeah, I get it. I get the fact that, yeah, he was warned by the tour. He knew what could happen if he did test positive. But there are avenues that could have been taken to alleviate this and make it so everybody wins. And for whatever reason, the PGA Tour didn't think that that was important. And instead, they tried to make Rom the villain. He turned into the victim. Thankfully, at least enough people are smart enough to realize that Rom got screwed in this deal. But that doesn't change the fact that the PGA Tour right now looks about as weak and pathetic as is humanly possible. So the Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Koepka feud has hit another chapter 
And again, I am all here for this. This is my favorite story in sports because I find it hilarious. I love it. This is just awesome. So this past weekend, Kepka did not play in the tournament, the Memorial, which I just talked about in the previous segment, but uh, Bryson did. And fans, which it seems that the the public at large is on Kepka's side, uh, which, of course, as you all know, I am as well, mainly because DeChambeau is the villain, right? So if you're going to embrace being the villain, more likely than not, you're not going to have a whole hell of a lot of fans because you've now taken again, the villain role on the tour, which is fine. I mean, but if you're going to do that, if you're going to embrace it and kind of just take hold of it, you got to have, you can't be weak. You can't be mentally weak. You have to have tough skin and you have to be able to take it. So the fans were chanting Brooksy (laughs) every time DeChambeau would hit a drive or hit a shot. People were just chanting Brooksy, Brooksy, which is hilarious. Now, DeChambeau originally claimed that the remarks were flattering. His words, flattering. He also made the comment that uh, he said, quote, first off, the fans were awesome today. They came out and supported me. Obviously, you're going to have people saying things, but again, it doesn't rile me up. I love what's been going on. I've had no issue with it whatsoever. I'd say tennis and golf are the only two sports when you're hitting a shot every day. Excuse me, hitting a shot, everybody's usually quiet. If it comes out to, to a point where they're affecting your swing, then that's a little over the line. But everything else, I don't care, end quote. So most of that statement is bullshit because he does care that Brooks Kepka has been destroying him ever since that whole interview scene. And Kepka has. He's been trolling him like crazy. Kepka is the social media king, as far as I'm concerned. As far as athletes go, he is just trolling the shit out of Bryson. And it's been hilarious to watch he took it up a notch further this weekend when he found out about what was going on at the tournament he put up a video thanking the fans and saying hey you know i heard you guys have been supporting me out there even though i'm not playing i really appreciate it i'm gonna give away a certain amount of cases to the first people who like dm me or stuff like that And it was cases of michelob ultra because he's he's sponsored by by them obviously uh but he was just it was just added a little bit more fuel to the fire of look, I'm aware that you guys love me. I'm aware of the fact that you're pissing off DeChambeau. And because you guys are so awesome, here you go. Here's some free beer. I mean, if you're a fan of Brooks, how the hell can you go wrong with that? You DM the dude, you get free beer. That's that's pretty awesome. But again, we, we come back to Bryson here. So Bryson claims that he doesn't care, right? That it doesn't bother him, that everything's good as long as you're not affecting my golf swing, which again, he's he is correct about that. Like it's one thing to be bullied, you know, people yelling Brooksy to you and or whatever. But it's another thing, though, to try and screw up somebody's golf swing. Same thing with tennis, obviously. He, he is right with the comparison. Like, if you're – that's why they, they ask you when, you when you're at tennis tournaments or even when you're at a golf tournament or a golf major is in someone's backswing, please be quiet. Allow the guy to hit the ball. Then you can scream whatever the hell you want, but be respectful about it. Anyway. So DeChambeau's agent spoke with PGA Tour officials about him being called Brooksy. And so it, it, does, it is affecting him. It's bothering him that he's getting heckled out there. So, again, this comes back to DeChambeau needs to make a decision. He needs to decide, do I want to be the villain or do I not want to be the villain? Because if you're going to be the, the villain, you have to embrace it and you have to understand what comes with that. Good. He's going to get sponsorship deals. He's going to make a lot of money because he's now put himself front and center on the PGA Tour. 
which is a smart move by him. But you can't have it both ways. You can't kind of embrace this villain role, but then turn around and have your agent go to the PGA Tour and start, you know, I don't even know really what the legality issues would be of this, but having having him try and, and make it so they can't scream Brooksy at you, like, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, you again, you need to pick a lane. If you want to be the villain, you got to embrace it, all of it. And some of it doesn't exactly come with, with being embraced in a warm manner from the fans. You're going to be heckled. You're going to be criticized. Everything you do is going to be scrutinized because people aren't going to like you. They're going to root for the other guy because the other guy is considered as the conquering hero. He's the guy who's handing out free beer to people. That's just the way that it goes. So it's just, it's, it's a very interesting story. It's a very interesting concept. Now, I love it. Again, I love every aspect of this. But the more and more that we kind of are deep diving into Bryson, Bryson it, it doesn't exactly seem like the, the strongest of dudes when it comes to, to dealing with this type of stuff. And we've seen this in the past, though. Take the NBA, for instance. You had LeBron. Remember when LeBron was all about, you know, oh, yeah, I'm embracing the villain role. Oh, you know, I want everybody to hate me. And ever since he made those comments back when he first joined the Miami Heat, then he collapsed in the playoffs. He hated it. He, he absolutely hated being the villain. It bothered him. He, he wants to be loved. He wants to be embraced. He wants people to respect him and, and just have adoration thrown at him. The same thing with Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant did the same thing. He went to the Golden State. He was, he, you know, he, at the time, we all thought, oh, you know, Durant, it doesn't even affect him. He's totally fine with being the villain, being considered a villain. And then come to find out he's got burner accounts on Twitter talking back to people who are talking shit on him. There are some superstars in sports that are just mentally weak. And I think DeChambeau, unfortunately, is going down that hole or down that road, excuse me, of being one of those guys. Not everybody can do it. There are very few people who are strong enough mentally to be able to handle people rooting against you and scrutinizing you. There's Tom Brady. There's Michael Jordan. There's Tiger Woods. And that's pretty much your short list of people. And again, yes, are they the most successful? Am I picking goats here? Absolutely. But they're also the very short list of people that can take the heckling, that actually take the, the anger from the fans and the vitriol from the fans, and they use it. They use it as fuel. DeChambeau should be taking the, this rivalry against Brooks, and he should be channeling it and using it as fuel. And rather than using it as fuel... And, and, you know, using his game to do his talking, he's too busy bitching about it behind the scenes, but publicly trying to be like, oh, no, no, I'm not affected by it. But clearly you are. Again, you have your agent going to the PGA about, about the fact that you're getting heckled. So, again, I love, again, I love this thing. I think it's great. But I do think that DeChambeau really does need to pick a lane and figure out what side of this, this battle he wants to be on. Because if, if, this is the way he's going to act. Kepka's going to absolutely crush him, and he's going to use social media to his advantage. And not only social media, he's going to talk trash to him on the, on the course. You know it. I know it. Everybody knows it. And obviously, that's what we want. We want them to get paired up together in majors. We want to see that body language between the two of them. And so far, it seems like Kepka's got the upper hand, but we'll see. 
We'll see what happens moving forward. I'm going to sit back and just enjoy watching this feud, and I hope and pray that the two of them get paired up in a few weeks at the U.S. Open. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for this week's edition of the LaValley Sports Talk Podcast, brought to you by the Sunland Network. As always, thank you so much for tuning and listening. We greatly appreciate it. Please be sure to download, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're doing that, we have plenty of other podcasts for you from the network, including Drinks with Dan, Richo's Rant, Richo and Lala, and Spaceball. And speaking of Spaceball, a new episode is up currently, episode six, where Austin and I debate if Joe Madden is overrated. We discuss DeGrom's greatness and if we've been sleeping on the San Francisco Giants. So be sure to check that out. And that is it. That's all we have for you this week. Be well, stay safe. Talk to you all again next week.